adversaries are relentless, and they're only getting smarter, faster, and more sophisticated. Knowing their game is the only way to beat them. That's why we're here. Learn what it takes to protect against even the most sophisticated attacks. Welcome to the Adversary Universe podcast. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the CrowdStrike Adversary Universe podcast. And joining me today is none other than Adam Myers, the head of our counter-adversary operations team. What's up, man? Hi. Hello. <laughs> I'm Christian Rodriguez, field CTO of the Americas, and today we're actually going to focus a little more on not only ransomware, but data extortion. And this was an interesting one because if you haven't had a chance to read our global threat report for 2023, there are some interesting statistics that focus on an interesting shift in the way that adversaries have refocused their um, campaigns to not only run ransomware, I think everyone is familiar with the, with what ransomware is and what it does, but there's also been an interesting shift in a focus on extortion events. If we look at why these data extortion campaigns are so successful, I think today we want to spend a little more time understanding why that is and how these adversaries are getting to the point where they would get access to your data and have the ability to even run these extortion campaigns. And so, Adam, what would you say, you know, based upon our global threat report and some of the things that you're seeing, how big is data extortion becoming in contrast to like ransomware where we campaigns five years ago? Well, you know, I, it's interesting you say that because I think if you roll back to 2019, we started seeing the kind of inception of these data extortion events. And a lot of people called it double extortion where a threat actor would deploy ransomware and also steal data. And then they had two different demands. One was to give the cryptographic key back to unlock the data. The other was to not leak that data to the internet. And from there we saw, and I always describe this as kind of being like evolution, right? The first fish that grew feet. So they went from that data theft into something we call a dedicated leak site. And a dedicated leak site is a, think of this as kind of just a tour hidden service where you can go to it and see all the information that they've stolen when the victim didn't pay. And so that really started to gain popularity throughout the pandemic, 2020, 2021. And in 2022, we started to see that more and more threat actors weren't even bothering doing the ransomware. They weren't even bothering to deploy the tool they were just stealing the information and threatening to leak the information publicly if, if they didn't get this extortion demand. In 2022, 20% of the ransomware actors that we were tracking went purely with that extortion. They didn't even bother to do uh, ransomware. And, and some of them, you know, outside that 20%, some of them were doing the ransomware, but it was more to get the attention of the victim mm. than necessarily they cared about the money from the data extortion. Oh, interesting. The objective here being more of a data shaming campaign. Data like shaming, maybe. but I think what the threat actors realized is that there's a there's a calculus of ransomware. And when you think about it, the calculus is how long are you out of business before it's cheaper to pay the ransom and just get back up and running than to try to fight through it. More and more of these threat actors realize that ransomware is noisy. There's a lot of EDR tools out there, things like CrowdStrike Falcon that can detect and prevent these things from happening. And so they started thinking about how can we make money quickly, easily, and not have to 
you know, contend with these advanced technologies like EDR. And what this kind of also corresponded to was this increase in targeting of just simple identities, right? No longer really being worried about sending emails with attachments to try to get somebody to open the attachment. They figured out that you could just steal credentials. And again, with the pandemic, a lot of folks started working from home. They started working remotely. They started working from non-corporate assets that may have been compromised with things like Redline Stealer or any number of these info stealers that are out there. And with that, they could steal credentials. They could steal usernames and passwords. And you know they could then sell that to the highest bidder on underground forums. And so this whole kind of new ecosystem evolved of access brokers. And, and last year we saw a massive uptick. And so that created this kind of fertile ecosystem of you can buy access to an organization. We'll give you all of the details about it from Zoom Info, how big they are, how many employees, where they're located, et cetera. And, or you could buy credentials, right? We'll give you the credentials for, you know, five, 10, 15, 20, whatever amount, uh, dollar amount for the credential. And that's where you start your intrusion. The other trend that we observed was that more and more threat actors stopped using malware during their intrusion to include ransomware. In 2022, we were, I think at 71% of intrusions didn't involve malware initially. Yeah. So now you could come in with a compromised credential or you could come in with uh, access that was achieved through an access broker that had a reliable vulnerability. And all you have to do is steal the information and then threaten to disclose it. And the threat actors figured out, too, that the downtime, you know, that they're basically letting the victim have control when the entire operation is predicated on downtime. When you're able to steal that information and you could say, hey, you're going to be in violation of HIPAA or GDPR or the California Privacy Act, then the calculus is different. We know exactly what this is going to cost as soon as it goes public. So they figured out that we could go in with a legitimate credential. Maybe we have to bypass multi-factor authentication. Maybe we steal the sensitive information and then we extort the victim and basically cite international or local privacy policy. That you're violating, right? Yeah. yeah, And you better pay us or we're going to expose this. And that math gets real big real quick. I think about just the legal fees that you would have yeah. to incur, right? To deal with fighting a class action suit or, or even settling a class action suit. And so what ultimately I think these threat actors are doing is they're working smarter, not harder. And by the way, ransomware involves cryptography and cryptography is hard. And when you have multiple yeah. ransomware payloads executing at the same time, and there's network attached storage and things like that. You might encrypt the file two, three times, maybe more. That becomes really difficult to unpack and to like help that victim through, which yeah. if you want to maintain your credibility as a ransomware actor, having a bunch of victims bemoaning the fact that you didn't unlock the files doesn't usually get you more payment. So that is the new way that things are going is to go after this, the data itself, extort the victim. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, what's interesting is if you, I mean, the concept of cyber extortion isn't necessarily new, right? I mean, we go back into an adversary that we've been tracking from back in 2014, like Pizza Spider. And Pizza Spider was really big on 
these DDoS extortion campaigns where they would send their respective victims a note saying, I'm going to DDoS your site. I'm going to report you to some group for, you know, hosting some type of illegal gambling site because they maybe got access to, or, you know, they compromised the web server and now they're hosting content that basically makes it look like the victim is hosting some type of content that, that they shouldn't be hosting. And then they're asking for, or back then they were asking for, you know, two to three Bitcoin and then they gave their respective victim an option, right? And so I think the concept of data extortion or rather cyber extortion in itself isn't necessarily new. And we did see back then even going into this interesting shift in the way that adversaries were basically warning their respective victims that, hey, I, I've deployed ransomware in your systems, but I also have access to the data and here's evidence of these files that I'm about to leak. And I think that uh, we actually wrote an interesting blog about this several years ago where it was the city of Baltimore uh, was infected with ransomware. And, you know, it was all over the news, all over Twitter. Every media outlet was covering the correspondence because, you know, the mayor subsequently decided to release that information to the public. But it was interesting. I think even then it was an interesting shift in the fact that ransomware was absolutely used, but there was a very big extortion event that also was tied to that. And I think to your point, there's been over the past four years, there's been an interesting transition in, you know, maybe shying away from that ransomware and just saying, if we have access to these environments as a result of, let's just say, an access broker that credentials were purchased from. But once those credentials are accessed and this adversary can walk in through the front door and authenticate to resources where you have sensitive data or intellectual property, just sitting there, then it's a lot easier to try to exfiltrate that data versus ringing the fire alarm that, you know, there's a piece of ransomware on a system, right? And it also allows the adversary to blend in with administrators and normal behavior and, and user behavior where they can start taking that information. They can start moving laterally. That east-west type of activity is often ignored by enterprises. And once that adversary is in these environments, they get access to the data and then they're out the door and then then comes your note. And so it's interesting that we've been tracking some really great points on how, you know, various groups like Doppel Spider and Twisted Spider have been leveraging ransomware in these campaigns, but they have been really quickly, they've diverted a lot of their tradecraft into this extortion campaign where they're just going to steal data, right? And kind of hold it hostage. I think it was Twisted Spider where one of their victims ended up suing them back in 2019 because they, they hosted their data on a DLS, basically this data leak site, and they sued them and the website was then taken down, but then they quickly just set up another DLS and they were hosting that content. And so I know that this is, again, it wasn't as popular back then, but over the past four years, we're just seeing a major migration into, you know, ransomware is still there, yes, but the extortion events seem to be just very successful. And, and I don't think that's going to slow down anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, look, they're in it to make money. And yeah. I haven't seen any hard metrics yet, frankly, on data extortion payments and who's paying and how much they're paying. It's a lot harder to track that. We've seen that from ransomware, but data extortion events don't always necessarily even involve an incident response. It, it might just be a purely like internal issue to, to deal with that. So I don't know how effective they've been, but I think the fact, you know, if I look at the market dynamics, the fact that they are continuing to do it probably indicates they're getting paid. But the thing that's going to be yeah. real interesting is when I think there's a lot of reporting requirements we're going to start seeing from governments that if you are 
breached, you have a re requirement to notify the government in a certain period of time. And as that occurs, you know, then I think the government will be in a position to hold the victim accountable and tell them, well, if you pay these, these people, then, you know, we're going to come after you for that too. So it's going to, it's going to be real interesting, I think, in the next couple of years to see how this stuff all evolves because the government doesn't want to see this money going out the door to these threat actors, particularly if they're in places that are like Russia or Iran or, or places where there's OFAC implications, they're going to try to put a stop to that. And, you know, that's going to make things really difficult for the victims they are kind of stuck between the, the government and a hard place or a rock in the government, if you will. And that's going to be real difficult for companies to deal with. So their choice is going to be you invest in security and don't let it happen, or you're going to have a real unpleasant time. And I've seen some of these adversaries also making true to their word, if you will, where uh, there was a hospital hit earlier this year, data extortion event, again, very similar to what we've seen in other industries, but more, I think more disturbing this hospital or this healthcare provider impacted by this breach. The actors reached out and said, we're going to leak this data. If you don't pay up, they declined initially and the actors started releasing information tied to patients and their diagnosis. And we're talking about pictures that were released and, you know, just, it was, it's very poor, right. In, in terms of the actual real victim here, right. Is the actual patient getting hit and their personal information just being out there. But to your point, now the repercussions tied to this leak are going to be associated with HIPAA violations. And I mean, we're talking about potential lawsuits from the patient to the healthcare provider and the ripple effect is huge, right? Depending on how many patients are impacted or, or you know, again, what we're defining as a, the true victim in these scenarios. I'm very curious on your point of the concept of legislation around these extortion events. Like, could they potentially be considered an act of war, right? Especially if it hits maybe military personnel that are in a hospital that may maybe lose their life because of a system that's down or, or if a system is impacted or, you know, whatever the case may be, I feel like there's a lot more that could potentially be happening from a legislative perspective. And I know we talked about this with Jack Stefford on should healthcare, for example, infrastructure be considered a national security concern, which I think it should be in the grand scheme of things. But I don't necessarily, I think to your point, because things are, have been so successful on the data extortion side, I don't necessarily think they were going to slow down on these campaigns, but I also think that there should be some proper ways to mitigate against understanding who's logging in and authenticating to your systems. There should be some ways to implement, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with data diodes, right? But how data is being treated in your environment, understanding where your data is and tracking those exfiltration attempts to the point where you can at least identify it sooner in the, in the grand scheme of the attack and the attack cycle. So Adam, for our listeners, share with us one of the adversaries that have been very prolific with their extortion campaigns. And maybe we can share a little bit about their tradecraft that our listeners can be aware of or cognizant of. Well, I think a lot of people have the move it vulnerability pretty fresh in their mind. And I think mm, that's ouch. kind of yeah. a leading indicator of where things are going and, and how they're shaping up. So that's the third, I think, incident involving a managed file transfer service. And when you think about a managed file transfer service, this is Lots of organizations have this to share information, right? You, you send it up over uh, a file share to, to, you know, professional services, accounting, you name it. 
and uh, it's a good way to, to let people share information to you securely. But the problem is the threat actors know that. And so they're going after these things. And Move It was just one example where they found a SQL injection in the application and were able to use that to pull all the files out of that application. And the threat actor there, Graceful Spider, extorted or started extorting all those victims that were non-government. Right? They, they yep. made a big show about saying, well, we're not here to mess with the government because we know where that's going to end. So yeah. we'll, we'll just go after the private sector. And I, I've heard that there's pretty extensive extortion demands associated with that. But I think that shows you how, you know, a little bit of work finding an interesting vulnerability and in an interesting product that you can get access to some sensitive information really opens the door for a threat actor to do data extortion. Yeah, no, that was an interesting attack too. I remember uh, getting into a deep dive from or with one of the members of our Overwatch team and the exploit that's used actually allows uh, the the attacker to create this user account within the actual application itself. And then the entire attack itself is ran and executed within the app itself, right? So there's nothing necessarily to even track heavily from an EDR perspective because it's native to the application itself. And so once the adversary is in the application with this specific account that gives them kind of free access to move whatever they want, no pun intended, they can access whatever data within that move it transfer service and it was very impactful. And so that's an interesting one too, because we've heard a lot about it. We were called in to a lot of incident response engagements for this one. And I think I think there's more to come, right? With even other applications that follow a very similar use case, right? Of, of moving files. Yeah. And look, that's the third one. And I think the other things to keep in mind, cloud, right? We talked about in the Global Threat Report, 95% increase in cloud exploitation in 2022. And a lot of that cloud exploitation could be targeting of various data storage buckets. And, you know, not to say that they're insecure at the SaaS level, but when a user starts changing permissions and maybe they open it up a little too much, threat actor comes around, enumerates that service, finds it, dumps the data. You have a data extortion event that didn't even really involve them doing anything. Right? If, if they just take the data and then extort you, that that makes it a very different situation. And then harder to recover from, right? I mean, yeah. versus like ransomware campaigns. Historically, there were, there was this perception that you can just simply like, hey, I'll just roll back my systems and I'm good to go if there's a piece of ransomware or ransomware is hit, hitting my enterprise. But there is no concept of a rollback if your data is gone, right? And it's being extorted. So exactly. You know, yeah. You can't roll that back. Can't roll back. Exactly. So that's another topic I like to bring up with, with anyone that discusses the concept of saying, Hey, I need to bring my systems to a known good state. I'm like, well, that's great. And sure. There's opportunity to do that, but not if the data is already gone. And that's the biggest issue right. that we're seeing. So I think we had a really good article posted sometime in July on 24th. I think we started talking about legislation for this national cybersecurity strategy implementation plan. The plan is basically to provide, you know, these kind of 66 initiatives across these five pillars to combat cybercrime and enhance the cybersecurity workforce. And basically there's terminology like enhancing resiliency to this digital economy. And I know that it's a stretch, right? I know it's going to take years to implement, but I think to your point, there's a very specific emphasis on counter cybercrime and defeating ransomware. But I feel like we're still, I, th I think that legislatively, we're still missing the mark on these campaigns that are much more focused on, again, extortion. It's great that defeating ransomware is a topic within this initiative for the next several years. But I feel like we're also within this program 
you know, I'm hoping that a lot of the, the out of the 66 different initiatives on those five pillars, I, ho- I hope that there's this collective understanding of the tradecraft and really the objective, right? Because if, if, if there's this very maniacal focus put on just stopping ransomware without the understanding that the ransomware activity is still there, but it's actually decreasing in favor of extortion campaigns that have been very successful. And I think we're going to start missing the mark. So hopefully this is something that we can also start talking to a lot of our government and state and local customers and prospective customers about, you know, that understanding the adversary tradecraft is so important. It goes back into our opening episode of knowing the adversary, knowing their objectives. If they're, you know, naturally they're coin operated, they're there to make money and they are going down the path of least resistance. And if the extortion campaigns seem to be the most fortuitous, if you will, with respect to the success of these campaigns, then there needs to be a lot more emphasis put into understanding identities and understanding, again, how these adversaries are coming into the front door and getting access to that data. And then really the mechanisms that are used to exfiltrate that data within your enterprise. And so I think we can spend some time even talking about why data loss prevention technologies sometimes work and sometimes they don't. I spent a lot of time working on DLP products in some previous lives. And Is there a DLP for the cloud? DLP for the cloud is interesting because you now have to classify your data, right? And then you need to start running the request for that data through some type of reverse proxy to inspect it. And I don't think a lot of customers or a lot of enterprises have that set up. Or if you if you start moving all your data to the cloud and you start front-ending it with APIs and then your API keys get compromised and adversaries have full access, you we're talking about misconfigured IAM policies and services that are, that are inadvertently exposing data. I think DLP kind of falls flat in, that, in those scenarios, right? And then when it comes to cloud DLP, probably not a lot out there to help. Yeah. And, and classifying your data, honestly, think about the concept of lift and shift, or I hate to even use that term, right? For, but for organizations that are really heavily and aggressively adopting the cloud and they're taking all of this, these applications and all this data and they're basically saying, well, it used to be on-premise and we're going to shift it into the cloud. You know, lots of times that data that's being moved to the cloud, no one's keeping track of what it is. No one's classifying it. No one's necessarily even reviewing IAM policies in a very strict level. If they are, there's very little additional hygiene that's put into understanding the way that those IAM policies are configured. Mm. And those are just, all you're doing is you're moving your very big on-premise issue that you have and you're just saying, I'm going to move it into the cloud and I'm going to put very little effort into understanding what the actual issues are underlying root cause potential of a root cause of this issue is. And I just think that's very difficult. Moving your data into the cloud doesn't mean that it's secure. And I think that's a very big misconception. So Adam, just to wrap up on the topic of data extortion, we talked about adversaries coming in through the front door, the the reduction in ransomware activity, and then the move it uh, vulnerability that was heavily exploited by varying adversaries. And so I think this also lends itself to maybe, you know, global supply chain issues and third party compromise campaigns that we've seen historically be very successful. What do you expect or what, what do you think we can see in the next 12 to 18 months when it comes to trends and this type of behavior? I think that we could expect to see the continued move towards data extortion. I think that threat actors are, you know, a couple of the, the financials there, first of all, that makes sense. A lot of these threat actors are affiliates of ransomware as a service. Ransomware as a service takes 20 to 30% off the top. If they move to data extortion and they're able to make the same amount of money or roughly the same amount of money, they're saving 20 to 30% fees that they'd be paying to that platform. The other side of it is the complexity, right? The technical complexity becomes much easier if you're just stealing the data and then threatening to disclose it. Other changes or environmental factors, I think that we'll continue to see threat actors moving in this direction because it's just easier, it's faster, 
And ultimately, there's less cost of goods sold, if you will. If you think about the SaaS or RAS model there, where they're paying that fee, you know, they're making 20 to 30% more each time with that extortion. And I think as well with the move towards cloud and more organizations putting data in the cloud, but also not necessarily having the right security measures in place in their cloud will continue to embolden those threat actors. So I think that we'll be keeping a close eye on this trend, but it's one we've been watching for a while. And I think that the inertia is that it's moving in that direction. Yeah. Any last parting words for our listeners on ransomware versus data extortion versus saving the world? I'm all about saving the world. We are saving the world. We are saving the world one freestyle at a time here at CrowdStrike. <laughs> no, we definitely are here to help and share as much information as possible. This is Adam Myers, Christian Rodriguez, Adversary Universe podcast. We'll catch you in the next one. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to our podcast and head over to CrowdStrike.com forward slash adversaries to learn more about the many bad guys we track. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on the Adversary Universe podcast. This is the Adversary Universe podcast.